Anyways, just big questions are a part of our lives, right? It's a part of the way we learn. Some questions are kind of trivial. Like one of my favorite trivial questions is, what's for dinner, right? You know, I want to plan my appetite correctly for what's going on for dinner, right? But not necessarily a major life-shaping kind of question. Others are, right? The question like, will you marry me? That can be a pretty life-changing kind of question. But really, you know, there's, there's very few questions that alter our lives eternally. Very few questions that alter our lives eternally. And one of those questions... Is, the, is, is what we're going to encounter today in our study of Mark chapter 10. Now, we're going to deal with a little less text today than we have been in recent weeks, and, and we're going to have to speed up after this. So in order to get to the resurrection in Mark chapter 16, by the third week of April, we're going to have to do basically a chapter a week for the next five weeks. But what we're looking at this morning is significant enough in our understanding that we need to slow down just a little bit and just look at these 14 verses related to this question about what must I do to have eternal life. And that's why I've, I've uh, uh, entitled my sermon for this morning of What Must I Do? And, you know, there's, there can be a temptation on our part to kind of not deal with the question because we don't really like where it comes from. The, our main guy in the passage today outside of Jesus is a guy that's really easy to love to hate kind of guy, right? This guy that we're going to look at is rich, right? Really rich. He's young, as we find out from Matthew. So he's young and wealthy. And we find out from Luke that he's young, wealthy, as well as successful. He's a ruler. So here's one of these guys, when you look at him, he's just really loved to, he's just easy to love to hate him, right? Because he's rich, young, and successful, right? One of all those things that, that, you know, it's kind of easy to despise kind of in people because you know, it's like, why isn't that me kind of idea? But he comes to Jesus, and we're going to follow this. And so what I want you to ask you to do is, is follow along in your text. I want to read through the text. And then after I've read through it, I want to go back through and kind of bring out some of the color of what's in there for us. And then after that, I want to go back through and, and glean out some of the truths that we have found most helpful. What does it really teach us about who Jesus is? And what does it really teach us about how to follow after Jesus? So follow along as I read. Beginning with verse 17, again, page 856, Mark chapter 10. As he was setting out on a journey, that's a reference to Jesus, that's why the he is capitalized, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt down before him. And he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a question all of us should be asking. Well, Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, God. Then he says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear fault witness, don't defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these things from my youth. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was stunned at this demand, and he went away grieving 
because he had many possessions. It's interesting that I think this is the only case in the Gospels where somebody left Jesus grieving. Only case. But he was stunned at his demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. But the disciples, they were astonished at his word. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So they were even more astonished, right? So they make a, Jesus makes a statement. They're like clearly bewildered on their faces. He makes another statement, and now they're even more bewildered, right? They're, they're even more astonished, saying to one another, well, you know, who can be saved then? Looking at them, Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. But not with God. Because all things are possible with God. So Peter began to tell him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, I assure you, there is no one who has left house, brothers or sisters, mother or father, children or fields, because of me and the gospel, who will not receive 100 times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and then eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, I think there's some dynamics in this text that we don't really pick up unless we really kind of understand kind of what's going on in it. So let me just kind of walk us through this just a little bit. So if we look at verse 17, the scripture tells us that as he was setting out on a journey, so Jesus is still en route to Jerusalem for the very last time. He's left Galilee, he's headed south, he's headed to Jerusalem. The eventful things of, of, that come after the triumphal entry with his, with his tough week and his trial, his arrest, all that kind of stuff, his crucifixion, all of that, he's headed towards that. And while he's on this journey, this man runs up to him. Again, very unusual thing for a Jewish man to do was to run, right? It was, it was embarrassing. It was shameful, you know? Now we're shamed if we don't go out and run, right? Because we're not taking care of ourselves. We're going to be out there exercising. But back then, if you ran, it was, it was a thing of shame, you know, that men just didn't do that, right? And here he comes running to Jesus, and he falls down at his feet, and he says, good teacher, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus really doesn't re- answer his question right away. He draws his attention first to the use of the word good. Because the word good in, in the days of Jesus, among the Jewish community in which he lived, the only time they used the word good in the sense here was to refer it, was to make a reference to God. And I don't know if we have anything in the English language that even comes close to that as a word where we would never use it unless we were using it as a description or a reference to God. And so when he comes up and says, good teacher, you know, in other words, he says, you're God who's teaching. So, you know, and she said, whoa, 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 why do you use that word good? We know there's only one who's good, and that's God. Now, Jesus doesn't reject the statement. He just makes sure that everybody gets the statement, right? So then Jesus, after he's brought that out, he says to he says to them, um, said, "Why do you nobody's good?" But said, then he says, "You know the commandments." And what Jesus refers to here is the commandments. Kind of have two sections to them. 
I don't know if they were really kind of laid out, but we look at them. There's a whole bunch of commandments that have to do with how we relate to God. And those are our, our vertical relationship to God, right? Then there's a whole bunch of commandments that are more deal with our horizontal relationships, our earthly relationships. And so Jesus walks through those here. He says, you know, I, you, know you heard it said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't be a false witness, don't defraud. He, that, he kind of uses that as a substitute for the word do not cover, covet your neighbor's wife. And so, you know, coveting usually led you to do to defraud, try to steal from, that kind of thing. And you notice he puts honor your father and mother at the end, whereas originally it would be kind of... So Jesus kind of walks through all these things, and, and this guy says, well, you know what? From my youth, I've done all that stuff. Now, we, we don't know for sure, but we think what he's referring to is that the Jewish in Jewish tradition, when a young man got to a certain age, he became responsible before God for his own behavior. That was the moment he became a son of the law. And they have the phrase, the bar, bar mitzvah is to become, a, that's when you recognize that you have now become a son of the law. So this guy is probably saying, said, hey, when I finally got to a point where I kind of passed the threshold of the age of accountability, I knew that my standing with God now was on me and not on my parents. He says, every single thing that you've talked about, I haven't done. I've never murdered anybody. I haven't lied to anybody. I haven't stolen from anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I've tried to honor my parents. I've done all, so I've done all this stuff. And then Jesus looks at him, and, and he just has this compassion for him, right? He, he, he feels this connection to him. We don't, we don't know it's because he just, Jesus was just so, so moved by this young man's sincerity, his passion, his eagerness, his earnestness to really kind of get into the kingdom and how hard he was pursuing after God and how serious he was taking the law and all that kind of, We don't know if it was, it was that that really moved Jesus or we don't know if it was Jesus was looking at him and saying, you know, here's a guy who is breaking his back to earn his way into the kingdom and, and he, he's just not going to make it on his own. And what drew him to him was this sense of com- compassion and connection to him, Right? But Jesus responds and he says, you lack one thing. He says, you've got to go and you've got to sell all that you have. And you've got to give it away to the poor. And you'll have treasures in heaven. And then come follow me. Again, why is Jesus making this request? You know, and, and, and there are a couple potential things and maybe they work together. One is that clearly for this guy, his security his identity, his value, his life was structured around what he had. And it was a rival to God. And he said, so if, if, in order to be my follower, in other words, in order to be in a position to merit or to be somebody who's going to enjoy eternal life, your allegiance to me cannot be in competition with anything else. And you need to take that which is in your life and, and you need to remove it so that you can be free to come follow me. And so he tells him to go and sell all that he has, and, and, and the guy just can't do that, as we see in the text. It could be, too, that Jesus is saying, you know, you, you've got the don't part of the law. You haven't really got the do part of the law, right? <clears throat> Remember, Jesus has already taught that it's not just enough to keep from murdering somebody, but if we actually just are angry with people, we've committed sin. Right? He said, so in order for you to get to a place where you can get, you know, you have to, you have to not just 
keep from hurting somebody else. You actually have to bless or serve or care for others. So you have to take what you have and minister to those who are in need. So you need to give it away to the poor, laying up treasures in heaven, and then you'll come follow me. And it could be it's a combination of those two. But either way, when the young man hears this challenge, the scripture says he's just stunned. Stunned. Jesus asks him to do the one thing that he is not prepared to do in order to have eternal life. He asks him to do the one thing that he is not prepared to do in order to have eternal life. He's not willing to give up life as he knows it and wants it in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ and inherit eternal life. And so the guy's just stunned. But he's not the only one who's stunned because the disciples are stunned. You know, Jesus said how hard it is for wealthy people, right? Those who have the ability to be secure and self-sufficient and self-sustained in and of themselves, how difficult it is for them to come to a place where they realize they need a Savior. They're not going to take that step. And it's so hard for the wealthy to get into the kingdom of heaven. The disciples are saying, what? You know, because the, the way they saw it in those days was if you were wealthy, it meant that you were the ones that God really liked. You, you know, in other words, the wealthy people who were the ones who were at the front of the line to get in through the pearly gates, right? And the rest of us are the smucks at the back of the line, right? And, 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 and so they look at, if the guys in the front of the line who have the highest rating, you know, to be able to get into heaven, if they're not going to make it, there's no hope for us in the back, right? These are the guys that God has said, I love them, right? And, and they're good. And, I've, and, I, and so I'm embracing them, and they're my people. So I'm going to pour out my blessings on them. And because of that, they're wealthy. And it's, so those are the guys who already have the favor of God. And if the people who have the favor of God who are standing at the front doors of the pearly gates, if they're not going to make it in, what about the rest of us schmucks in the back of the line who have nothing? who God's already clearly says, eh, I made up my mind about you yet. You know, and I mean, clearly we're not going to get in. So they're just astonished. And Jesus said, you know what? You know how hard it is to get into the heaven, get into heaven? Because this is exactly what he says, right? He says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is how easy it is. Go out and get one of the fattest animals that you can think of, a camel, bloated with water, right? And then go get a needle, it's got a tiny little hole, something so small that a mice can't even fit through, right? You know, mice can seem to get through anything, right? I mean, this didn't get, just, but, you know, gets it and try to cram that. In. That's, that's how easy it is for rich people to get into the kingdom of heaven. And they're even more astonished. And they're like, and Jesus, then Jesus just spells it out clearly. He says, you know what? It's not possible for man to do on his own. Those who are at the head of the line that you think God has blessed more than anybody else, the ones who have the smallest leap to make it over the threshold into heaven, those people, they can't ever reach that threshold. It's impossible for man. It's impossible for them. It's only possible with God. So Peter pipes up and he asks this question. So, well, what about us? We've left everything to come follow you. You know, and, and, and the spirit of his question, you can kind of take it in a couple of ways, right? It could be on one sense, and maybe this is the way you should take it, because Jesus' answer seems to say, Peter says, you know, hey, all right, you know, we're, we're, if we're not going to make it in the kingdom, you know, we're not going to make it, we, we've left everything for you. What's in it for us? 
<laughs> right? You know, we're, we're not like the rich young ruler. Granted, we didn't have, you know, loads of money and mass, you know, thing, and all kinds of houses and that kind of thing. We weren't the wealthiest ones, but everything we had, we gave up for you. And now you're telling us we're not going to be able to make that leap into heaven. And why are we doing this? And so that could be his question. What, what, what do we get for this, right? Peter's question could be, taken a little differently. And I'm drawn to this, even though I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a harder understanding of the text. But, but I think Peter's basically saying, you know, we did what you asked this guy to do. Is it enough or not? You asked this guy to go sell all that he has, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And that's what we did. We, we got up from our boats, and we left them behind. We kissed our wives goodbye. We rubbed our kids' on heads and said, be good, and we, we said goodbye to our parents, and we followed you. Is it enough? Is it enough? And Jesus answers the question with the faithfulness of God. Nobody who's given up anything in pursuit of me is ever going to lose. And ultimately, they're going to get eternal life. And then Jesus said, and don't be distracted by appearances. Those who look like they're first, they're going to land up last. Those who look like they're at the head of the lines, the ones who have all the favor of God, the ones who are getting ahead, the ones who, are the, the ones who look first, be last. And those who look like they're not making it, they're the ones who are going to land up being first. It's a powerful message in here. And, and I think there's some things that we really need to take away from this text as we look at it today. You know, one of the things is, what does this really teach us about Jesus? Remember, we've been working our way through the gospel of Mark, asking, trying to get to know the real Jesus. And the reason we've been doing that is because we, we, we can fall in love with our idea of Jesus, but our idea of Jesus is not the Jesus who's going to set us free. It's only the real Jesus who's going to be able to set us free. And so we've been looking through the text saying, what is it that Mark's trying to convey to us about who Jesus is? And very clearly out of this text, you can see this, that Jesus is good. And because Jesus is good, Jesus is God. He is God. Not, not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a, you know, a, a super pack righteous kind of thing. He, he is God. Jesus does not reject the use of the term good teacher. He just clarifies that when you use that term, you're calling me God. And that's an appropriate confession because I am God. So Mark lays that right out. The reason why the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news is because Jesus is the Son of God. But Mark was also zoned in on, on, on some of the challenges we have as being followers of Christ. And some of that came from, from the fact that a lot of his insights to who Jesus really is came through Peter. And Peter, among all of the disciples, except for Judas, right, but among all the disciples, he was the best at doing spiritual face plants when it came from following after Jesus, right? He just had this ability to be able to trip himself up. You know, he denies him and this and that. Jesus has to tell him to get behind me, Satan. And, you know, and then later we see that, you know, even though he'd been shown that all things were clean to eat or whatever, he withdrew from, the, from some of the other Gentiles who were eating that kind of stuff. Peter had this ability 
to be able to take following after Jesus and show just how really hard it was because he failed at it at times. And Mark had his own experiences with that, right? We, we really believe he's a guy who, who was in the garden when the Romans started start collecting up all the followers. And, and, and when they grabbed him, he just left his, his tunic behind and ran away naked to get home. And then he goes out on his very first journey of serving God, and, and he just can't cut it, and he has to go home. And so he knows what it means to follow after Jesus and to turn out to be an utter failure in the things that we really need to appreciate. And so there's some really great walking with Jesus tips in this text today that I'd like for us to see as a part of this journey of really understanding who it is Jesus is and what it is being about. And and here's the first thing that I really want you to get, because we live in a time where this is so counter-cultural. But here's the message we need to get. Sincerity and passion are not enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven. Let that sink in for a minute. Sincerity, passion, being really devoted, being all in and all that kind of stuff, it's not enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven. You know, we live in a day and an age when, when one of the, the mantras that's kind of subtly and in some ways very actively put out there is that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely. And that is a lie. It is a lie. And, and here's this guy, he is all in about earning eternal life. This is a guy who, who, I mean, he's kept everything. He doesn't blink an eye when Jesus says, well, let's go through the commandments. How you doing? I'm good. Ever since I knew I'm old enough to know better, I haven't done any of those things. I've never failed. I take this journey seriously. I'm devout. I'm passionate. I'm zealous, right? I'm all in, right? And... He's he's so much so that he comes running to Jesus, right? He's kneeling down at the feet of Jesus. He's he's taking his status as a a leader, and he's going after this kind of questionable quasi-prophet on the edge of what's acceptable religiously. He's coming out, and what am I going to do to inherit eternal life? I mean, he's all in. He's passionate, right? This is a guy who was reading his Bible through every year. This is a guy who was showing up to church in a snowstorm, right? This is a guy who serves on every volunteer team. He's all in. He's devout. And it's not enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven. Sincerity is not just is not enough to get you in. It leaves you lacking. The second truth that you and I really need to accept it and, and, and see in this text is that there really is such a thing as an impossible mission. There, there really is such a thing as an impossible mission. I mean, we... Movies are great today, right? They all, you know, Mission Impossible, right? And what do they do? They go out and do it, right? You know? So it's, it's like, no, there's nothing that we as man can't do. Yes, there is something that we can't do. And what we can't do is ever be good enough based on our own efforts to merit the kingdom of heaven, to earn eternal life. Jesus can't be any clearer than in verse 27 when he says, with man, it's impossible. He doesn't say, with man it's impossible, but if you're really special and really committed and you start really early and you do it really long and you, do it and you memorize you know, the Bible in four different languages, somehow he doesn't say that. He said, it's impossible. And there is something that you and I cannot achieve on our own, right? And that is salvation. 
We can't earn it or merit it on our own. I mean, again, the disciples are stunned. Says, you know, the, the, the wealthy people, those are the ones that are at the, who are rising to the top because they're the ones who are doing the best. They're the ones that God loves. He's the one that he favors. And those are not going to be, because it's impossible to merit eternal life on our own. You know, and the scripture just can't be any clearer about that to us. And, and I, I think I have a quote here on the screen for you where it, where it simply says that, you know, there is no one righteous, right? There is no one righteous. And just in case you don't get it, not even one. This no one or everybody isn't just like a generic term out there, but there's a few exceptions to the rule. He said, no, 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 there's no exceptions to this rule. There's nobody who's righteous Nobody who's earned a clean scorecard that can merit eternal life. And, and, you know, that is one of the things that you and I need to accept. I think one of the biggest challenges, and we're, Christina referred to, we're, we're working through this God's plan, our problem, God's remedy, our solution. We love all of it except for that second point, our problem. One of the things we really struggle with is that we struggle with what, that we are a sinner and that we can't overcome that on our own. Because it's just not written into our DNA. It's 21st century Americans. You know, this is something, we should be able to work our way out of this. We can master it on our own. We can be good enough. It's impossible with man. The third truth is that the impossible has actually been accomplished. It's been finished by God. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And it's been done in Jesus Christ. That's where Jesus is headed on this road, right? He's walking his way to Jerusalem so that you and I will have a cup and a piece of bread to remind us of the sacrifice he made. So that which was impossible with man has actually now been made possible in Jesus Christ. And it is given to us as a free gift. For it is by grace that we are saved by faith. It is the gift of God, the scripture tells us, right? And in Hebrews 10, 10, 10 I, I love this passage where it says, by the will of God, we have been sanctified. We've been accept, made acceptable for heaven, right? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It is a God thing that's been done for us because God loved us like Jesus loved the rich young ruler. And so this has been accomplished for us. And so it's, we need to embrace it. It's impossible for us, but it has been made possible in Jesus Christ. And we don't earn it. We just receive it as a gift. Another truth I really want us to come across. And this is where probably a lot of us struggle, right? Like, what about this command of Jesus telling this guy to go sell all that he has and give it to the poor and come follow him? Doesn't, doesn't that sound kind of irresponsible, a little over the top or whatever, you know, if, 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 you're, if, you're, if your kid called you up, you know, like if my 30-year-old called him and said, Dad, we're going to sell everything and say, oh, let's back up the truck here a little bit and have a conversation, right? Because first of all, I'd be thinking in the back of my head, I don't want you moving in with me, right? So, you know, and so we, we'd be having all kinds, well, what, what is this really, what, is it, what, what does he mean here, right? And is this something that he expects of all of us? And the answer to that question is, no, it's not something he expects of all of us. But it is something that he expects of some of us. And there is a principle here that applies to all of us, though it may hit us in different ways. 
And, and the principle is this, is that if there's anything in our, in our lives that challenges our allegiance to Jesus, we need to be ready to surrender it. When Jesus says, go, there can't be anything in our lives that we're not willing to let go of so we can go. You know, it's not that Jesus expects all of us to take a vow of poverty and, you know, sell everything we have and go, but he does some. Let me give you a couple examples. I, I share these in the first service. Some of you remember this past December when we were praying for international missions. One of the missionaries that we saw on video and that we prayed for was a guy who had been, who was, who was a medical doctor. And he had gone to medical school and through his job, and he'd become a flight surgeon for NASA. So some of you would say, that's pretty good success, right? Not everybody gets to be a flight surgeon for NASA, right? That's pretty successful. You'd also say, this guy is in a great position to be a great witness for Christ in the medical community, right? He's got some status behind him. You know, when you slap down your credentials and say, I'm a flight surgeon at NASA, people might have a tendency to listen, right? So you could really be an influence. You should stay there. He said, you know, that's not what God asked me to do. God asked me to serve him in a place that's underserved medically. So he turned down his role left his role as a flight surgeon at NASA, and he moved to Africa to run a medical practice. And if I remember the story correctly, he had gone to a couple different countries, but now they had been serving for the last more than a decade in Tanzania, which is right next to Rwanda in, in, in um, East Africa. And that's where he had all the success in the world in a position where he could do a lot of good for Jesus. Instead, he went to a place where people pay you with chickens when you save their daughter's life. And somebody would say, you know, but that's what God asked him to do. And in order to be a follower of Christ, he needed to be willing to do that. Let me give you a different example, which goes in a different direction. Some of you have heard me say that in my early days when I was, I did some summer mission work when I was in college and in my early first pastorate and some other things, there was an organization that's still at work now. It's called the Cecil B. Day Foundation, right? Cecil Day was the founder of the Days In. That's where they got the name Days In for his last name. And he grew it to be a national change, chain, and he was wildly successful financially. And, and God didn't tell him to go sell all that, whatever. What he did is he, off of his corporation, the national entity, he tithed off of their income, and he put it into a foundation that's known today as the Cecil B. Day Foundation. And it's still, to this day, even though he's been dead for over 20 years, it is still, to this day, a, minis- a, a group that does all kinds of kingdom work around the world with a heavy concentration in New England, because that's where Cecil Day was really burdened, was for New England. It's an amazing thing. And, and, and yet, so his thing wasn't to take a vow of poverty and give it all away or whatever, but his thing was, you know what God's saying to him? I want you to go out and I want you to be wildly successful. And then I want you to set it up to do kingdom good long after you're gone. Sometimes that's what God asks. But the principle for us is this, is that there can't be anything in our lives that we're not willing to give up if it's what it takes to follow after Jesus. You know, my experience, you know, and I'll just, it's, it's longer, I share this with my life group on Wednesday night. When I was in high school, you know, I was already a believer, but I was struggling with the whole thing of what is my faith going to really look like and how am I going to do that kind of stuff. And, and you know, and I, 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 um, I was a little insecure, but I was also committed to, so I was on a football team and on a lacrosse team and hanging with those guys. And, and what I discovered 
As I, as I moved into to adolescence, about you know, the age of 16, you know, halfway through my high school years, was that, you know, I can't go out with my friends on the weekends and be the person that God wants me to be. These guys that I practice with five days a week, the guys I like hanging out with, the guys who like what I like, when I go out with them on the weekends, I am not the person that I want to be. And so I just had, and, and, and I tried. And, and I just could not sustain the value system that I believe that Jesus was giving me to do that. And so I just stopped going out with them on the weekends. I hung out with them on the practice field, and then I hardly saw any of them after that. And, 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 and it was difficult, right? And it was a huge part, you know, my whole social network just went, and went you know, but, but it's what I needed to do in order to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is asking. There can't be anything in our lives. Let me put it positively. Our commitment to Christ needs to dwarf our commitment to anything else in our lives. And so that if there is a moment where we're ready to make adjustment and to change and to go forward. One last point I want to make before we get to the Lord's Supper. You can't outgive God. Peter's saying, you know, we, we give up everything. Our families, our businesses, our friends, our, our, we gave it all up for you. And, 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 and he said, is it enough? Is it enough? And, 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 and what's going to happen? And, and Jesus says, Peter, don't worry. God's faithful. Peter, don't worry. God's faithful. You can't outgive God. You know, and he says, all of you who have given up families and homes and businesses, you're going to receive back a hundredfold. You might have some difficulty in life, persecution, you're going to receive back a hundredfold. And, and I got to tell you, from my vantage point, I've seen that in a, it come to life in several different ways. You know, one, one of the things is, is, you know, when we travel to Africa, we go, we don't have any biological connection to anybody who lives in Rwanda. But when we go there, we go among family. And those guys care for us like we're their family. And so I've gone from having one brother and a couple of sisters, and when I'm in that, and I got, I got dozens of those, right? Because you know, that's just who they are, because you're a part of the family of God. You know, one of the things that I've witnessed as a pastor of a church is that there are many times where the church is far more willing to serve people and to care for them through their needs than their families are, than the people's families are. You know, they've given up on them, that kind of stuff. Or, you know, and, and, and it's amazing to see how the people of God, because God gives us a hundredfold over, right? And not only in this life, but in the life to come, there is eternal life. You can't outgive God. So don't be deceived by perceptions. You might be looking around and saying, they're getting ahead and they're first and I'm not measuring up. And Jesus says, not necessarily the way it's going to end up. Because the first will be last, and the last will be first. You know, we started out talking about questions. And I want to ask you a question that flows out of Jesus' statement to the, to the uh, rich young ruler. You know, he, Jesus asked him, he, said, he told him, he said, you know, there's one thing that you lack. And so the thing I want to ask you this morning is, what, what is it that you lack in order to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? And in my mind, it's going to be one of two things. It's either... One, you lack faith in Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I invite you to take that step to become a believer today in Jesus Christ. The, the other reality is that we've let other things in our lives 
take the place of an ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ? What thing is it that you lack today? And as we come to the Lord's table, let's answer that question for ourselves. Let's pray together. And as I get ready to pray, I want to invite those who are going to help serve the Lord's Supper. Go ahead and take their positions in the back. Father, we saw in your text today that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's ready to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He's ready to do what is impossible for man, but because he is God, it's fully possible for him. And that's to make it possible for us to have eternal life. God, what one thing do we lack? What are we willing to do to answer that question? 